Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Exodus, as you heard a few moments ago. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you ever asked for a sign from God? You know that you need a, a miracle in your life. Or asking for a miracle for someone else. And you really want him to make that miracle happen. Or maybe this life is just so hard and you're struggling and you need a sign that everything is going to be all right. Or maybe you're having some serious doubts. And that if God shows himself to you in some way, then you would know for sure that he's real, that he cares about you, that he loves you. Or maybe you made a deal with God that if he granted your request, that you would dedicate your life to him. Ever asked that of God or something like it? Ever prayed a prayer like that? Ever made a deal with God? I mean, it's not completely unreasonable to want something like that from God. I mean, long ago, God sent his prophets to speak his word to his people. And then there were times where God appeared to his people, whether it be in a fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or in a tent with Abraham, or wrestling with Jacob throughout the night, or walking with Adam and Eve in the garden until he had to kick them out because of their sin. Or to Moses in a burning bush that just doesn't burn up. And sure, I mean, some people want big miracles. They want big signs from God to know that he's there. And sure, plenty of people saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. Sure, plenty of people saw Jesus calm the storm, saw him walk on water. Sure, plenty of people saw Jesus heal the sick. Sure, plenty of people even saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. But that was then. And this is now. That was a long time ago. And I want to see Jesus now. I want my miracle. I want my burning bush. Now, Moses certainly wasn't asking God for a sign when God appeared to him in that burning bush. But if there was ever a sign from God, a burning bush that didn't burn up might not be a bad one. And then on top of it, the bush talks to you. But it's not just a bush. It's God himself. So if you weren't convinced by the bush itself, you'd probably be convinced by the voice of God. The voice that Moses then hides his face from. Now if you've ever asked God for a sign, there's a number of things that could happen. Number one, God speaks to you. Obviously, he can. He's God. 
Number two, God speaks to you using someone else, like he did with the prophets of old. Number three, God doesn't actually speak to you, but you read into, interpret things around you as God speaking to you. Number four, well, before I get to number four, let's say this. God's word warns us many times to beware of false prophets, false words that are there to lead you astray, to lead you away from the truth, because they're not actually God himself. Number four, that God speaks to us in some way, but we don't give him our attention. We have hidden ourselves from hearing his voice. We've closed our ears off, if you will. And so his word doesn't reach us. I mean, those last two can easily happen because we're sinners. We can easily give in to temptation. We can easily listen to the voice of someone who is not from God because their words or their actions seem appealing as if they're from God, even though they're not. Or we could just completely shut ourselves off from the voice of God because, well, our sin doesn't actually want to hear what the Almighty God has to say because it is opposed to him. Now, what about those first two? God actually speaking to you and God using someone else. I mean, if you're looking for a sign from God, if you're looking for something to know that he's real, that he loves you, that he cares for you, here's what God actually has to say. Shortly after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And you might remember that Thomas was the one disciple who wasn't there. And since he didn't see Jesus, he said that he wasn't going to believe that Jesus was alive unless he saw and touched the nail marks in his hands and his feet and where the spear pierced his side. And when Jesus appears to Thomas, he says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you because you have not seen, but you have believed. And this gift of faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And faith comes from hearing the word. And God's word is enough. Take another example. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You might remember this one. Lazarus goes to heaven. The rich man goes to hell. And in this parable, they can see one another. And the rich man doesn't want the rest of his family, his brothers, to go to hell, to join him. And so he asks Abraham, who's there with Lazarus, to send Lazarus back from the dead because they'll believe and repent if someone comes back from the dead. And Abraham says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. God's word is enough. And later in Hebrews, we read, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The rich man and Lazarus, they had Moses and the prophets. And we, we have Jesus. And Jesus' words are good enough. And in our gospel reading for today, we heard the same. As Peter says to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is the one who has the words of eternal life. God's word is enough. And Peter saw Jesus risen from the dead. And he knew that it was Jesus who gives eternal life. But God's word wasn't good enough for Moses. Now, if we think about the context of Moses at this time, when the burning bush appears to him, 40 years have passed. And he's at a point in his life where he's married, he has kids, but he's in a foreign land tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. So he doesn't even have his own flock. I mean, if Moses were living in our world today, right, he and his wife and kids, I mean, they'd probably be living in their in-law's basement. I mean, that's what's going on here. He doesn't have his own home. He doesn't have his own land. doesn't have his own flock. He's probably not saving any money. And he's becoming a shell of his former self that we had seen 40 years earlier. Yet God still comes to Moses. He calls out, Moses, Moses! And he tells them, tells him that he is going to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says to God, Who am I? Who am I? Who's Moses? He's someone who had been rejected by his people. And he certainly thinks that those same people are going to reject him again. And that's why he tells God they won't believe him or they won't listen to him. So God says, but I will be with you. God assures Moses that he will be with him, that he will go before him, that he'll be behind him, that he will give him a sign that you will come to this very place and you will worship me again on this mountain. I think it's okay that Moses questions, who am I? Right? Of, all, of all people, who am I? It's even okay if Moses had no confidence in his own flesh, in his own self to do these things, to go and rescue the people of Israel. But it's not okay when you lack confidence, faith, in God, especially when God tells him that he is going to be with him. And from there, his questions only get worse. Moses asks, well, who am I supposed to say is sending me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, the I am has sent me to you. 
God told Moses his name was I am. Because God simply is. There was never a time when he did not exist. There will never be a time when he ceases to exist. Because God is eternal. And there is no equivalent for God except God. If that's not good enough, God gives him some signs. His staff, he throws on the ground and it turns into a snake. If I was a magician, I was going to do a magic trick for you, but I, I'm not that good. But you can imagine, you know, Moses throws his stick and he's like, ah! Right? He hides from it. That's what, that's what God's word says. He hides from this snake. And then God tells him to grab the snake by the tail, which is the worst place to grab a snake by the tail. Then he grabs it by the tail and it becomes a staff again. And then the other sign is he puts his hand in his jacket, pulls it out, it's leprous. And he puts it back in, clean. And if that's not good enough, you go to the, the water, pour it on the ground, and it's going to turn into blood. After all of that, Moses said, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, you might see some people think that, well, maybe Moses had a speech disorder of some kind here. That's what he's saying. Or maybe Moses really wasn't good with the Hebrew language or the Egyptian language. But we've heard already in the book of Acts that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Maybe whatever he had in Egypt, he's lost. But the God who created the most eloquent mouths was on his side. If Moses was a poor speaker, it didn't matter. Because God said, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Finally, Moses says, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. So now Moses is finally done with all of his excuses, and he showed the real state of his heart. His problem wasn't lack of ability. It was his lack of willingness. You see, God wasn't angry when Moses said, Who am I? He wasn't angry when Moses asked, Who should I say sent me? He wasn't angry when Moses disbelieved God's word and said, Well, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. God was not even angry when Moses falsely claimed that he ha is and has never been eloquent with words. But God was angry when Moses is just plain unwilling. It wasn't that Moses was unable. It was that he was unwilling. God's word is good enough. And it becomes good enough for Moses through Aaron, who speaks for Moses. God's word that he still gives to Moses, who then has to give to Aaron. It is enough. But maybe you're still sitting there today thinking that it's not. Maybe you still doubt. 
maybe still struggle. So let's go back to the beginning. When God calls out to Moses, he came to Moses where he was at, in his wandering, in his lostness. Remember, Moses had left his people, both of them. He had left the Egyptians, left the Israelites, was in a foreign land. I mean, sure, he had, was married and had kids, but he had no one else. And God came to him. But being in the presence of God is worthy of a pause, a stop. At the moment Moses came up to the burning bush, out of which God spoke to him, God gave him two commands. Don't come near and take off your sandals. Both commands were to impress upon Moses that he was standing on holy ground. It was not the actual ground on which Moses stood that was holy. Rather, it was the presence of the holy God that made it holy. This was a holy place. And because God is holy, he has to stop because there will always be a distance between God and man. Even one day when we become perfect, we will never be equal to God. Though we will have a closer fellowship and connection with him in heaven. Removing our sandals showed an appropriate humility for Moses. Because back in this time, you might think that the poorest, the most needy, had no shoes then. And servants were usually barefoot. Think about another parable, the parable of the prodigal son. When the father runs to the son as he's making his way home, the father says this, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The son who had left home left his family, no longer wanted anything to do with them. His honor as a son is being restored in this moment. He is not a servant. He is a son. So Moses, taking his sandals off on holy ground, is because all glory, all honor, is due to God and him alone. It also recognized the immediate presence of God. Because when you think, in many cultures... You take off your shoes when you come into someone's house. Well, now Moses is in God's house, a place of his immediate presence. Moses responds by not only removing his sandals, but also by hiding his face. A sign that he understood that he was in the presence and the glory of the almighty God. Because back in this time, there was this fear that if you saw God's face you would die. So I hope you finally figured out today why you were invited and welcomed to take your shoes off. To come humbly because we enter God's house. We come into his presence 
And it is here where God comes to us. But we also come in humility and in our own sinfulness and in our own unworthiness because we are poor, miserable, sinful human beings. Our sin has separated us from God. There is a great divide between us and God that we cannot bridge. And in our sin, we actually hide our face from him. We turn our backs on him, maybe because we fear death, but also because we want nothing to do with God in our sinfulness. We are not where God wants us to be. And what we deserve for our sin is death. It's physical death, yes, but it is also eternal death. It is condemnation. It is hell. To be forever separated from God, to have his face never turned towards us. But that is not what God wants for us. He wants to give us the forgiveness of our sins. He wants to give us eternal life. The only way to do that was to come to us again. Not in a burning bush, but as a man. As both God and man. Jesus Christ, the great I am. The same name that he uses in the burning bush, Jesus uses. Showing us that he was there with Moses. He was there in that bush just like Jesus was with his disciples years later. And instead of speaking his words through a bush, Jesus spoke God's words on a tree, a cross. He said, Father, forgive them. And he said, it is finished. And when Jesus says, it is finished, there on the cross, he won our forgiveness. There on the cross, he won our salvation. He bridged the divide between us and God. And in his resurrection from the dead, he proves that all of these things are true. And so as we gather together in worship, we are on holy ground because God is here. And because God speaks to us through his Son. And God's word is enough. Yes, he also has given us other ways to bless us, to forgive us, to give us the assurance of eternal life. His other means of grace, his words of absolution, baptism, the Lord's Supper, where he comes to us again. But since we don't have a baptism or the Lord's Supper today, you might be sitting there thinking, well, this worship... It's just normal. There's nothing special about it. But you'd be entirely wrong. That's because the word of God is proclaimed. And where the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, the Holy Spirit is working faith. The Holy Spirit is working in the lives of God's people. Just like the ground is holy because of God's presence, Worship is special because of God's presence and because he wants to give us the blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvation. 
And even today, God's word is enough. Because it gives us those things. And even more than that, we no longer have to be afraid of seeing God's face for fear of death. Because as his blessing says that you hear at the end of the service, the Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord look upon you, turn his face towards you, and give you peace. Not death. Peace. He loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He goes beside you. He is always with you. He is enough. And his word is enough. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.